things that we're going to share and that others will share or have shared are things, if you've been around very long, that you already know. But there's so many things I'm studying, learning, meditating on things that I've taught many, many times, that I've read many, many times, I've listened to many, many times. But that repetition, I heard this years ago, somebody said, the problem is we leak. So you may get it in you today, and in the process of just life, it begins to leak out of you. So we need to continually put it back in and remind ourselves. And I've found that the more I do that, the more it allows the Holy Spirit to take it down to a deeper level inside of me, where it becomes more and more a part of me. And that is the key. So I just want to encourage you in some things. So let's pray about this short teaching, and then we'll, we'll get together and pray. Father, we thank you again for being able to come together that in spite of what the restrictions are, so that we can't physically gather together, in many ways we have more people that now can come and be part of this time of prayer together. So Lord, as we enter into this short time of teaching and of inspiration and of encouragement and of building our faith, and then we enter into a time of prayer, we're asking the Holy Spirit to guide us because we can do nothing without His guidance, His leading, and His anointing. And so as best we know how we yield to Him to guide us as we speak and guide us as we pray. And for that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I, I, I was thinking as I was preparing for this tonight and just kind of meditating on what to talk about, I, I just thought back to a, a biography that I've read a number of times. And it's an autobiography, which is written by him, of Charles Finney. Some of you may know who he is or was. Charles Finney was a one of the greatest evangelists we've ever had in this country. He was one of the forerunners of the, of the first great awakening that we had, really up in this part of the country, up in, in, the, in the upstate New York, in western Massachusetts, in, in uh, rural New York, and then down into Massachusetts, and down even into Rhode Island. And he preached, pre- he preached several revivals right here in Providence, and he closed the city down at one point in Providence because of the great outpouring of souls. This is a man that when he would come to a city like Rochester, New York, he preached a series of messages, and before he was finished a week, all the bars shut down, all the movie theaters shut down, not because he preached against them, but because nobody went there, because they were all coming to hear the Word of God. That's a move of the Spirit. That's the power of the anointing of the Spirit that can have on a community, and I believe God still wants to do that. I got interested in him, because before he was an evangelist, he was a lawyer. And and the the story he tells in there that kind of ties into what I want to talk to you about tonight is before he actually got saved, he started going to church and some of the members of his community invited him to a Bible study and he would go to that weekly Bible study, excuse me, the prayer meeting. And the pastor was there and a number of the the elders were there and, and he would listen to them as they prayed and then they turned to him one night and said, uh, uh, Brother Finney, would you, would you please offer prayer tonight? And he was just an honest man. He would tell it as it is and many lawyers are like that. They'll just cut right to the chase. And he said, I don't see what really need there is to do that because it seems to me that you don't expect the thing, prayers you've offered to be answered. Why should I think anybody would answer the prayers that I offer? And it raises the question, when we come together to pray as an individual, when we come together as a family, when we come together as a church, are we really expecting God to answer our prayers? I know that if you were here tonight, and if, if I ask most of you, do you really believe God answers your prayer? Most of us that have been around tonight would, as a knee-jerk reaction, would say yes. But I want you to really ask yourself that question. 
Because I found God asking me that question. There came a time, oh, a while ago, and I was in this position as the senior pastor of this church, and I was leading prayer meetings. But I found, realized at some point, I got to the point where, and this is not easy to admit to you, I had given up on prayer. Oh, I would pray because that's what pastors are supposed to do. I would pray because that's what a husband's supposed to do, what a father's supposed to do, what a grandfather's. I would pray because that's what I was supposed to do. But I didn't like to pray. I didn't want to pray. And as I began to awaken to this about myself and ask myself why, I realized it's because I'd lost confidence in prayer. Why? Because I had not seen prayers answered that I had hoped would be answered. And so my response for that, and it was not something I sat down and logically thought through, because if I sat down and logically thought it through, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion. But many times we make decisions on the run. That means, well, I'm not, that what I mean by that is we don't sit down and take the time to prayerfully think through why am I doing this? Why am I not getting results? And begin to ask those questions. Instead, I just made that mental jump on the run. Well, I, it's not working, so I just kind of gave up. And I'm sure that I had help from the enemy to make that decision. And I was running so fast, so busy, I didn't realize I was doing that until I finally awoke and realized my attitude about prayer was I just didn't believe in it anymore. Now, that's not an easy thing for a pastor to admit, but it was the truth. And I'm not there anymore. But I'm sharing that with you because I suspect that there may be more than one person out there that is either there right now or you've been there before. And and the wonderful thing about God is He knew where I was. He didn't reject me. He didn't say, you're disqualified to be the senior pastor of this church, although I might have thought so if I had realized at the time. But God said, I'll work with you to help bring you out. I shared this morning on my fireside chat about how we read in Romans chapter 4 this wonderful testimony about Abraham and how he never wavered in his faith. And that's wonderful until you go back to the story in Genesis in chapter 15, then 16 and 17, and then on after that where Abraham wavered a whole lot in faith. There was one time when God told him that in a year you're going to be a father, and this was after 24 years of believing God supposedly. Abraham laughed at God because it was so ridiculous what God was saying to him. And yet Romans says he never wavered in faith. Sarah, his wife, When God spoke to her when she was 74 years old and said, in a year I'm going to come back and you will be bearing a son, she laughed. She went and hid. She was smart enough to hide from the angel, but she laughed at God. And when God confronted her, she denied it. But the Bible says she laughed at God. But the wonderful thing is when you get over to the book of Romans, the New Testimony, God's testimony about them was they never wavered in faith. Does that mean God didn't see that? No. It means God looks at you by where you end up, not by the journey you went through to get there. And so God will meet you where you are on that journey. So if you're just a giant of faith tonight and you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol tonight, praise God, I'm glad you're part of this tonight. But maybe some of you have tuned in and you're just kind of dragging along or with all this news out there about COVID-19 and death counts and people not sure what's going to happen and this doctor saying this is all going to come back again and all these reports, none of which do they know for certain. 
and you're panicked by that and you just don't feel the confidence to pray, understand this, God knows where you are tonight and He'll meet you where you are tonight as long as you don't quit. He'll meet you anyway, but just don't quit. I shared that with you because when I realized it and got honest with God, and just begin to ask God to help me. See, God loves you. God's your partner in this with you. We talked about this last Sunday. God wants to bring you from where you are to where He wants you to be. The Bible says in Philippians, God is at work in you, both to will, to change your will, and to work out His good pleasure in you. So include God in your journey. Ask Him to help you where you are. Ask Him to help you get from where you are to where... Don't try to do it on your own. I had to describe to somebody one time I think our image sometimes is that when we're saved God gives us an assignment here and says "All right, hot dog you work this out and I'll be at the end of your life and when you get there I'll give you a report card on how well you did and it's up to us to go from here to there without falling that's not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches you can't get there unless he's at work in you to help you. God is your partner. He's not your judge. He's your father. He's your partner to help you learn and to grow in these things. So I've learned just to be honest with God. And sometimes I don't even know where I am. I'll just ask Him, Father, help me to see where I'm. Show me where I am. And that honesty with yourself is where it starts. And then that honesty with God will open a door to help Him work in your life. So I share that way of testimony to encourage you. And this is part of what God began to take me to. Because I began to ask, the question is, God, why am I not seeing answers? Now here's the mistake we make. We, we, We get to that place where we may be in that same place, where we're frustrated, and then we go from frustration to disappointment, and then we go from disappointment to discouragement, and when we go to discouragement, we just begin to settle for no results. And so many of us walk at that place, never question it, and we just settle for no results and go through the motions of prayer without actually expecting any results. And what began to go off in me is, wait a minute, if this is God I'm talking to, and this Bible tells me the truth, then I ought to be seeing some results, so God Why am I not seeing results? When you get to that place, He'll tell you why you're not seeing results, and then He'll help you make the change. So here's part of the answer God gave me. Different scriptures, but here's part of them. So we're going to go to James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, so he's talking to believers. He's going to talk about a difficult, challenging time that they were going through. So this is something we can relate to. My brethren, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Boy, does that apply today. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or that word means endurance. We could spend the whole night on that. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now here's what we're going to get to. If anyone lacks wisdom... And this is talking specifically, it applies generally, but this is talking specifically when you're in the middle of a crisis and you don't know what to do. And so in that crisis, James is telling us, the Holy Spirit by him, that's when you need God's wisdom. And the only true wisdom comes from God. 
And so what does he tell you? If you lack this wisdom, let him ask of God. It's that simple. Ask of God. I need your wisdom in this situation. A lot of times we think we know what we need. God, I need more money. God, I need a job. God, I need healing. God, I need... When what we need is God's wisdom about what to do. I had a situation come up in the last day or so. And it was one that I was starting to, you know, if I listened to it too much, it could create panic in me. I don't know what to do. It's an overwhelming situation. And when you don't know what to do and you're overwhelmed, it's very easy if you don't gain control to slip into a panic. But I've learned to turn inside. And as I began to pray and got quiet and just expected God to give me an answer, I got God's wisdom of what to pray about in that situation. Now, to pray for a total change of the situation, I wasn't there. But when God showed me His wisdom of what to believe Him for, I know that's what I can believe Him for. See, that's working together with the Holy Spirit, showing you what to pray, what to do, and then there's an anointing on that, and then there's confidence in that. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him simply ask of God. Notice this, and notice God's promised response who gives to all, that includes you and me, liberally, generously. God doesn't just take a little eyedropper of wisdom or whatever you need and just sparingly give it to you because He's only got a limited amount and He's got to ration it out to you. No, God has an unlimited supply of wisdom. God has an unlimited supply of grace. God has an unlimited supply of love. He has an unlimited supply of faith. He has an unlimited supply of whatever you ask Him for and He gives promise to give it to you liberally, generously. Look at this and without reproach. He won't judge you for being where you are. He won't judge you for lacking the wisdom. He won't judge you for lacking the faith. He won't judge you for lacking something. He will not reproach you for where you are, but He will provide the answer for you generously. But here's the key. You have to ask Him. Over in chapter 4, James says, you have not because you ask not. So some of the things you don't have answers for is because you've not really asked. You say, but pastor, I have asked. Well, we're not finished what he's teaching us. Now remember, this is God instructing us on how to have our prayers answered. And this is part of how God instructed me of why I was not seeing answers. But I had to get to the place where I wasn't satisfied with not seeing answers. That's when I got an answer from God of what I needed to adjust and change. So God gives to you liberally. He will give with you without reproach. And God has promised that if you do that, He will, it will be given to Him. God has promised that. And that's what changed my prayer life. I really, wait a minute. God has promised that if I do what He says, then He has promised He will provide the answer. That means very simply with my, with my lightning-like mind, that if I don't have the answer, either God lied to me about providing the answer, or somehow I've not met the conditions. Only one of those two is possible. Either God's lied to me, and He won't answer when I come to Him, or somehow I've not met the condition. But pastor, I've done it. Well, one of you's wrong. Either God's wrong, or you're wrong. And I had to ask myself that question. Well, I'm wise enough to know 
It's not God that's wrong. So somewhere, whether I understand it or not, I'm not meeting the condition that He prescribes for answered prayer. Over in John 15, verse 7, and this is the verse God did use with me. It's Jesus said, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you wish. Now see, what we often do, well, I don't know if it's God's will. God's saying, ask what you wish. God's not saying, ask my will. Ask what you wish. But here's the catch. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you're not going to ask for something that's outside the scope of His will. So as long as you're abiding in Him, and His words abiding in you, then you have confidence that whatever you ask Him is His will. And He's promised that if you, were, if you abide in Him, and His word abides in you, Jesus promised, you will have whatever you ask. And I realized I was not getting whatever I asked. So the Lord took me back to that verse and He said, that means that either I'm not fulfilling my promise or you've not met those two conditions. And I used to look at, well, I'm doing that and I realized somewhere I'm not doing that. Because God's always right. Once I was open to find out how I was not doing that, I was in a position for the Holy Spirit to teach me what I needed to adjust and change. Now bring that same mentality over to these verses. Verse 6, here comes the conditions. And these aren't conditions whereby we're earning something from God. That if you do this, then I'm going to give you this. If you do this, then I'm going to give you... No, they're principles. There's a difference between a principle and a legalistic law. Simplest example I can take is this. You go to the doctor, the doctor says, all right, you've got bronchitis. Here, I'm going to prescribe for you this antibiotic. You're going to take... Two, one pill twice a day for five days. Don't miss any doses. Even if you start feeling better, take all the pills in the, bo- in, the, in, the, in the bottle. So you go home, you're all excited, you get the prescription filled, you go to take the first pill, the second pill, and then you kind of forget. And you say, well, you know, that was a good idea, or maybe this isn't working, or whatever, and you just stop taking the pills. Or you take them for two days and you start feeling better, and in spite of what the doctor said, well, I'm feeling better, so you stop taking the pills. Well, guess what? In 10 days, it comes back again. You call the doctor up. You're going to see the doctor. What's the first question the doctor is going to ask you? Did you take the pills? Yes. Did you take all the pills? Did you do everything I said? Well, kind of. Well, it only works if you take all the pills. That's not some legalistic law. That's a principle. It only works if you take the full regimen of the prescription. That's the spirit of this. It's not like God sitting up there with a clipboard saying, let's see, you did one and two, but you didn't do three yet, so I'm not going to give this to you. No, the reality of this is, is God has already given you what you're going to ask Him for. The requirement that we're going to look at is so that you can receive receive something that's already given. And I'll show you that in a minute. And here's the condition. But let Him ask in faith. Well, Pastor, I'm in faith. Well, let's see about that. With no doubting. Now, there's a difference here, and we don't have time to get into other scriptures that teach that. He's not talking about doubting. You can doubt things in your mind and believe them in your heart or the other way around. You can believe something in your heart, which is far more common, in your head, 
is far more common, and you can doubt it in your heart. Jesus is talking about your heart. With no doubting, now listen to this, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now think of that image. First of all, he's saying you cannot doubt. You have to believe what you prayed is going to be answered, and you cannot allow doubt in your heart. That reminds me of the the, the foundational scriptures on the prayer of faith, Mark 11, 23 and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes in his heart that what he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you already have received it, and you shall have it. So God is saying there through Jesus that in order to have your prayers answered, prayer is asking Him for something, but when you ask it, you must believe that He's heard you and that He's answered you, and then you've got to make sure you do not allow doubt in your heart. And that's where the battle begins. Because all kinds of things begin to come at our senses and at our mind to tell us it's not working. And this is where I got discouraged because I would pray something. And, and even when I prayed it, I would believe that God heard my prayer. But then between the time I prayed it and somewhere down the road, I would not see with my eyes or see with my understanding any change taking place. And because I spent more time looking at the physical evidence of whether my prayer was answered or not, instead of at God's Word, I began to doubt in my mind and then eventually doubt in my heart. Now there's an example in the New Testament of this. Well, let me go back, let me finish the, verse 7. Let, now listen carefully. Let not that man the man that has prayed but is, does not believe and lets doubt in his heart. Let, that man, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, for let that man suppose that the Lord will give him anything that he asked. See, when you ask, God gives it. That's in 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. God gives it when you ask. What faith is for is what allows us to receive something that God's given us that we can't see with our senses. So James is saying here, the man who asks God and lets doubt in his heart, he's not going to be able to receive whatever God's answered him. Why? Verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. No, notice what doubt does. Doubt opens the doors to instability in all of your ways. So the example here is the word double-minded is a Greek word that means to be of two different minds about the same thing. So when we pray and we ask God, we believe God's hurt us, and then we don't see the results right away, and we begin to get moved by the physical evidence, well, I don't see the results, so I guess God didn't answer my prayers. Those are two different minds 
about the same issue. And James is saying, if you allow yourself to be having two different minds about the same thing, you become unstable like the rolling sea. The image there is of the blowing sea tossing a boat around by the waves so the boat is not staying on its course. Now there's a wonderful story over in Matthew 14 that I've, I've just, I can't, and I don't want to get away from this story. There's so much imagery in this that speaks of trusting God and taking Him by faith. Verse 27. The story here is that Jesus has gone up on the mountain to pray. He set the disciples in a boat to go to the other side. And when they get out there a ways, this horrible storm comes up. They're afraid they're going to sink. And Jesus comes to them. He doesn't have a boat. He comes to them walking on the water. And they panic. They thought they were afraid because they were in this storm. Now they see this man walking on the water. Now think about how you'd be. You've never seen a man walk on the water. Your mind tells you men can't walk on the water. So your mind concludes, what must this be? Well, the only thing I can imagine is it's a ghost. So they think it's a ghost and they're afraid and they cry out and Jesus answered them. And this is what Jesus' answered is. Verse 27. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally what this says, three things, and they're important. Be of good courage. What that literally says in the Greek is be boldly courageous. I've often wondered why did Peter do what he's about to do? Because Jesus challenged him. He said in the middle of this storm, be boldly courageous. And then he's saying, do not be afraid. It's one thing to experience fear, it's another thing to let it become part of you. Do not be afraid. And then the answer is, he said, it is I. Literally that is in the Greek, I am. That's one of the names for God. In other words, I am is here. Now, look what Peter does. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come down to you on the water. And Jesus simply said, come. One word. Think of this in light of what we're talking about. G- Peter cries out and says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He's asked Jesus if he can do something. Jesus answers and said, Come. Come to me walking out on the water. So Peter has asked Jesus to enable him to do something that's impossible. That's what we often pray for. Jesus' answer is to say, Come, do it. Step out of the boat and do what's impossible. And here's the, here's the difference. The other 11 heard the same word and they stayed in the boat. And Peter, when Peter had come down out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus... Think of what he must have gone through to climb out of that boat, which he'd done many times before when he got back to shore, but every other time when he came down out of the boat, his feet went down in the water. And now he's out there in the middle of the water in a storm, but he's not looking at the water. He's not thinking about what's possible or impossible. All he's doing is two things. His eyes are on Jesus, and his focus is on Jesus said come. And he didn't delay. He acted 
on the word of Jesus. And I've taught many times, Peter didn't walk on water, he walked on the word come. Now while he's out there on the word come and walking on the water, the wind's still blowing. And when the wind's still blowing, the waves are blowing, just like James talks about. When the wind of the waves are blowing around and the boat's still going back and forth. And, and here's the choice. Peter right now is single-minded. And while he's single-minded on what Jesus said, that Jesus has answered his prayer and he can do what Jesus said, while Peter's single-minded, he did something that's impossible for men to do. But with God as possible, a man walked on water in a storm. Now, if you think the storm had something to do with it, go try to walk on water when it's calm. The water, the wind and the waves had nothing to do with whether he could walk on water or not. As long as he was single-minded that Jesus would do what he said he would do, Peter did the impossible. And I'm telling you, this talks about prayer. Because many things we pray for are impossible for man to do. To deal with COVID-19 and to stop COVID-19 as we're going to pray again for. To deal with situations where so you don't get this disease. In the natural realm, that's impossible. that may be impossible. Maybe you're exposed to it somehow. Maybe you've already contracted it and all the medical t- advice and all the technical knowledge says you're not going to get over this for two weeks. But that's not what God has to say about it. You may be in a different situation. It may be a child that's run away from home and you don't know where they are. It may be children that are rebellious. It may be a husband that's rebellious or a wife that's rebellious or a marriage that's going down the tubes. It may be some impossible situation. And you look at that and your natural reason and your natural sense says, but there's nothing we can do. So all I'm going to pray, but are you really expecting and believing God will change that situation? That's the question you have to ask because that's the requirement not for God to answer it but for you to receive the answer into your life. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Verse 30, And when Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out and said, Lord, save me. When he saw, he took his eyes off of what Jesus said and he took his eyes and his mind off of Jesus and he looked at Jesus and he now looked at the wind it says but that's the waves because you can't see wind you can just see it blowing the waves so now he's double minded he's remembering what Jesus said he's looking what Jesus said but he's now looking at the waves and his, 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 his mind's going back and forth. He's now of two minds about this. And the moment he opens his mind to the second alternative, he begins to waver, James says. He begins to doubt. And he stops being able to do the impossible. And Jesus' answer to his request can't be fully carried out now. And Peter begins to sink. But here's the good news. Even when he began to sink, he cried out to Jesus and asked for help. And Jesus immediately comes over and rescues him. So if you've stepped out in faith and you've asked God for something that's impossible and you've been single-minded about standing on God's Word and then the circumstances just seem to have overwhelmed you and you got your eyes off of that and you began to sink, I've got good news for you. If you cry out to Jesus, 
He's not there judging you. He will come to get you and pull you back up. And they walked back to the boat. It doesn't say that, but I cannot imagine Jesus swam back with him. I can't imagine Jesus walked back and dragged Peter through the water. I've got to imagine that Jesus took his hand, lifted him up on the water, and they walked back together. So even if you fail, and I went through something like that lately, where I was standing on something, I was so sure of it, and I knew I was in faith, I knew that answer was coming, and circumstances just all of a sudden came at me, and they got in behind that, and I began to be moved by those circumstances, And but I realized what was happening. I realized I was becoming double-minded, so I knew what to do. I just did what Peter did. I said, Lord, help me, save me. And I felt the Lord just begin to come behind me, strengthen me from the inside, and help to set me back on my course of trusting Him again. Now it's interesting, we'll close with this. It's interesting, Jesus' response to that when He got back into the boat was, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't believe Jesus was mad at Him. I honestly believe Jesus could not understand doubt. I honestly believe Jesus could not understand unbelief. So think of this picture. He, they're walking on water in the middle of a storm. And Peter's walking on it. And I believe Jesus inside going, Yes! Yes! You're doing it, Peter! And then Peter begins to get double-minded and look somewhere else and starts to sink. And Jesus rescues him, gets him back to the boat. And he's going to say, Man, why did you doubt? What happened? There was no reason for you to doubt. Jesus couldn't understand that. He was so tuned in and focused and trusting on His Father's Word that He could not receive anything that was contrary. Oh, that we get to that place. So we're now going to begin to apply this. That whole lesson was to help encourage us that if you're, if you're wavering at this point, maybe there's an issue in your life you're trusting God for, and you realize now you're wavering. Be honest about it. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me just as you helped Peter. Rescue me. I want to trust you. And then begin to get your eyes back on Him, back on the Word, and He's there to help you. He's there to help you. If you're at a place like I was a, long, a while ago, you're just discouraged about prayer, just be honest with yourself about it. Be honest with God. And again, ask Him to help you. He won't rebuke you. He won't ju- By the way, He knows where you are. So He needs you to ask Him to help you to get out of that. So we're going to come together now. We're going to begin to pray. I'm going to pray first about our prayer. And then we're going to pray the, the prayer, the United 714 prayer for this week. And then there's some things we're routinely praying. There's some other things I want to pray for. And then, and then we'll, we'll close this out. I trust that this has helped you. I went a little longer than I intended. But I think it's important to lay a foundation of faith. Because prayer, we just said, that it, it, you must ask in faith with no doubting. That's the conditions God has set forth. So, Father, we just come to you and ask you to guide us now as we pray. Wherever we are, individually in our prayer walk and our prayer faith, meet us where we are tonight. Engage with us because we've come to this time together because we want to be effective in our prayers. And we live in a world, we have a church, and we live in families that desperately need you to answer our prayers. So we ask you to guide us tonight, Father, as we pray. So this is the prayer. It's based on uh, 1 Peter 2.5. 2, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And Hebrews 13, 5. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge His name. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. If you have this in front of you, you can repeat this with me, but don't just go through some ritual. If you don't, then just agree with me. Just listen and just be in agreement. That's the key here. Living God, we humbly come before you in confidence, knowing that you're merciful and a loving Father who hears our prayers from heaven. We unite before you as the church, a spiritual house of living stones, a holy priesthood. In the midst of this pandemic, we bring you our sacrifice of praise. We thank you for the mitigating the effects of COVID-19. We realize that without your divine intervention and protection, the devastation wrought by this disease would be far greater. We are thankful today that what's impossible with man is possible with you. Lord, today we choose to praise you. In the face of pressure, panic, and pain, we choose to look beyond our circumstances and lift our hands to you. Comfort us in our weakness. Lift us up in your presence as we worship your holy name. Today we choose to praise you. Your church unites to lift up sacrifices of praise. We're confident our world will experience a fresh outpouring of your divine presence and love. This will result in the conversion of untold millions, and you and you alone are worthy of our honor and our worship. Lord, today we choose to praise you. This prayer we commit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we also come together as your word has called us to do, to pray for our leaders. Your word tells us to, first of all, pray for those that are in leadership and authority over this nation and over our lives, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Father, the the offices that they stand in, from the president to the vice president to the leaders of the House and of the Senate to the Supreme Court, to those in our local governments, our governors and leaders of our House and Senate, both in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. These are offices, these are positions of authority that you have established and you have ordained, you have authorized, and you back them with your authority. And so we pray for those who serve in those offices right now. For Lord, whether we like them or don't like them, whether we agree with them or don't agree with them, they're in offices and under authority that you have created. And so we pray for the office, we pray for the authority, and we pray for the man or woman who stands in that office today. So first of all, we pray for our president. Father, we ask you to keep and protect him. We recognize, Father, that what is going on in this world today is not a political battle. It's not an ideological battle. It's not even a a, a battle of diseases and sicknesses. It is a spiritual battle that is going on, and it is part of the end times program of the times that you have called and ordained for this world. And so, Father, at this point, we pray for him because that office is subject to great spiritual forces pushing and pulling against him. 
And so we ask you to strengthen him in his soul, strengthen him in his body, strengthen him in his mind, Father. Give him discernment to know who to listen to and how to listen to it. We ask you to surround him with men and women of God who are sensitive to your spirit, that they would be able to provide for him godly wisdom and godly counsel and give him the boldness to stand for that and to do what he knows is right that you put in his heart. We ask you to protect him and his family, Lord, that he's not distracted from what he's called to do at this time. We pray also, Father, for the election that's coming up later this year. It's easy with all we're going through right now to forget about that coming up, but it is very crucial and is very important. And Father, we pray that this is a crucial election. We pray, Lord, that the person that you call and ordain to stand in that office who will hear your voice and will carry out your plan and your purposes, that you will work things so regardless of what the media does, regardless of what the Republican and the Democrats do, that you will supernaturally move to put your person in office. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for Nancy Pelosi. We pray for Mitch McConnell and those that are in leadership. It doesn't matter whether we agree with them or not. They are in an office, Father, and we ask you that you would open the eyes of their understanding to recognize that they stand in a place of authority that you have given them and that they're accountable to you, not to the people, but they're accountable for you to how you exercise that stewardship that's been entrusted to them that they no longer be moved by power and by politics and by personal preferences, but they recognize the responsibility that you have entrusted to them and for which they will give an account to you. We ask you to provide them with people around them that, that know your voice and know you and are led by your spirit to help and to guide them. We pray for Governor Raimondo. And as we've said many times, Father, both Chi, none of the other governors, but the governors that affect our lives here in this church, Governor Romano and Governor Baker, they didn't bargain for this when they sought election. They had no idea that they would be in this place. And Father, we pray, I believe with all my heart that they're trying to do their best. And I prayed, Father, that you would strengthen Governor Raimondo, that you would encourage her tonight, that you would keep her safe and keep her strong in her mind and in her soul to stand against all the pressure, this ongoing relentless pressure that she must be feeling. We ask you to lift the pressure from her. We thank you that we know that you have put at least one person in her path that knows you and loves you, has your spirit and hears from you. And we pray, Father, for them protection and godly wisdom and the Spirit of God to give them wisdom and for other people to surround her. Father, we pray. We pray for her marriage, Lord, because of the strain that this can put on that. We pray also, Father, for Governor Baker, who's handling a very different set of challenges. And we pray also for him, Father, that you would give him the physical strength, the emotional strength in his soul, and the wisdom that he needs to make the decisions daily in the long-term planning about the, sort of the safety of the people and the well-being of the people. Father, we pray that you surround him also with people that hear your voice, that know you, that you strategically place people to give him counsel and advice. We also pray for his family, Father and that you keep them safe and keep his marriage and his family strong, that he not be distracted by those things. Father, we pray for the other pastors in this area. We pray for them, Father, who are responsible for sheep that you've entrusted to them, that you would give them strength, Father, and wisdom to lead their people through this difficult time. There are 
difficult decisions that are facing us as we must make choices about when to open, how to open, to be able to come back together. And Father, we ask, I ask you for all these pastors not to be moved by pressure from people, not to be moved by pressure from, from opinions, not to be moved by their own internal pressure, but to be able to hear the voice of your Spirit and to have, just as we study tonight, to ask for your wisdom and that you give that wisdom to them abundantly. And Father, your wisdom may be very different for each different church. Help them to have the boldness to do what you're telling them to do and not to follow the crowd and what other people's trend is doing. Father, we pray right now for people in, 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 the, in, the, in the, health industry, the health industry that are on the front line of, of facing this every day, that are giving of their hours, of their time. They're sacrificing time with their family. They're exposing themselves to this risk, Father. They're literally laying their life on the line for the sake of others. Father, we come together and ask you to honor their unselfishness and their sacrifice. We ask you to keep them safe and protect them, to put a hedge of protection around them. And we plead the blood of Jesus around them. Father, we know that they're trusting in masks and gowns, but when they put their trust in your spirit and your trust in the blood of Jesus to cover them and to keep them and protect them. We pray for those that are in the hospital right now that are struggling to breathe and to overcome this virus and those that even may be overcoming it, but they're home, Father. We speak to their lungs to be strong and healthy, that their lungs will recover, that this virus will not succeed in their body, that they will live and not die. We speak life over their bodies and we rebuke this virus in the name of Jesus and declare you will not have their lives and their bodies. They will finish their course. In the name of Jesus, we speak that by faith. Your word says that the word of God in our lips is the sword of the Spirit and the hands of angels that go forth to carry that out. And we thank you for that. Father, people that are at home right now recovering, people in our congregation that may have tested positive and may, may, may not even having bad symptoms, we pray for their full and complete recovery. And we plead a hedge of protection around every member of our church, everyone that's a relative of our church, Father, that they'll go forth. And Father, we pray for those in our body especially that have lost loved ones. We know that there are a few out there. We pray that you would comfort them, Father, as only the Holy Spirit can do. We can give words of encouragement. We can be there to encourage them. But only your precious Spirit on the inside of them can bring that true peace and comfort and assurance and we ask you to rise up with them and help them to, to come through this time. Help them to set their eyes on you, on your presence in their life, and on the future that you have for them, both here and in the next life. We thank you for these things, Father. We thank you for your grace to do these things. Father, we continue to pray that in this opportunity, in this time of great turmoil and great shaking, that it is a time when you want to move into this situation and you want to move into the, into the gap that's created by the fear and the confusion and you want to begin to touch the hearts of people and reach the hearts of people that will be open now that may never have been open before. 
And so we pray for your church to rise up and strong and to begin to get our eyes off of ourselves and what's going wrong and off of our own issues and begin to look at why you put us here and what you've called us to do and how to flow with you and to cooperate with you. We continue to trust you and ask you to continue to prepare us and to recognize the each step that we must take to fulfill your will. Jesus taught his disciples to begin her prayer to you by praying your kingdom come your will be done on the earth at this time and that's our prayer tonight father that your kingdom come in the middle of this chaos in the middle of this fear in the middle of this pandemic that your kingdom of peace your kingdom of health healing your kingdom of deliverance come Jesus, you, when you sent your disciples out, when you walked on this earth, your message you gave them was to tell the, to your disciples, to tell the unbelievers that the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, and to demonstrate it by stretching out your hand to heal, your hand to deliver from demonic forces, by stretching out your hand to show them that the kingdom of God has come. And Father, this is such a time. Cause your church to rise up with a holy boldness that drives away our fear, that drives away our selfishness, that drives away our unbelief, that we be consumed with a fire of your passion and of your purposes that we've never experienced before. And that that flood of the river of life that you prophesied here will flow out of these doors, flow out of the sanctuary into Seekonk and East Providence and Barrington and Swansea and Rehoboth and all the communities around us. And your prophecy is wherever that spirit goes, wherever that river of life goes, it takes whatever was dead and makes it alive. It takes whatever was maimed and and crippled and makes it whole. It brings healing and wholeness and hope and direction and life to wherever it goes. I believe, Father, this is that time. May the church rise up. May the, not just this church, but your churches rise up and catch your vision, Father. And Father, we ask now that you begin to give us a spirit of prayer for these things that you give us a spirit of prayer for these things. I want to read you some things that Paul asked for prayer in different places, for things that he was already called to do. He asked the people to pray so that God's will could be done through him. I'm asking you, the Spirit of God's asking us tonight for all of us to pray, not that God would do it through me, but through this body, through this church, and through others. He, he, in Ephesians 6, 19, he requests pair, prayer that he might have the right words in sharing the gospel. In Ephesians 6, 20, that he would have the boldness to proclaim the gospel without fear. In Colossians 4, 4, that he would have clarity in communicating the gospel. In Colossians 4, 2, that doors would be open of opportunity to share the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, that God's word would spread ahead and be honored and that he does not want to leave room for any miscommunication. So I would encourage you, and when we come together each time to pray, we're going to pray this because 
I can begin to see in my spirit what God wants to do right now. I've shared with you that when this very thing first broke and I began to realize the enormity of what this could mean, and I know I've shared it with you before, but I just want to remind you of it. I need to hear this again. And again, it's like Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. I started to fear, but I've learned a long time ago to, be, to listen inside to what God's saying. And when I did that, that was a Tuesday morning. I listened inside and I felt God saying, become inside-minded more than outside-minded. Begin to look at what I want to do in this opportunity and begin to set a vision of what I want to do in this opportunity. And you will find that as the people that follow you will begin to follow that vision, they will get their eyes off of the threats that are in the world and they will find themselves empowered because they're stepping outside of themselves and they're stepping into a divine purpose and a divine calling for their lives. I've been in that place before where God had me lead this church and other situations through an amazing onslaught of demonic attack, but I knew I was right in the middle of God's will. And all I can describe it is as if I was walking right behind Him and whatever got shot at me was deflected off me by Him because I was right up behind Him in the middle of His will. And I can see this vision. God wants to rise up by His Spirit and march forth from this place and go out and do a mighty work. And He's called you and me to follow him right behind him and, and here's the key there, and I'm going to talk about this on Sunday there are many things out there to distract us from following him and if we get distracted from following him we're no longer protected because the protection is in the secret place of the most high it's under the authority of God's will for this place And as we line up behind His purpose and His authority, He becomes... I'm starting to preach Sunday's message. He He is that protection. When you get distracted by side issues, you get out from underneath His authority and you become fair game. And here's the danger. You don't know it. We'll talk more about that Sunday. I didn't mean to get into that but it's just so strong in me. So what I'm asking you to do, what I'm calling you to do, what God's calling me to do is to sound this call forth that as a church, we begin to consecrate ourselves to God, what's my part in this? Just begin to pray for it. That God, that we would have the boldness. God, that we would have the wisdom. God, show us what to do. And you will find that God, because it's His purpose, will begin to undergird you, get behind you, and begin to lift you up and carry you forward. And all the obstacles that you thought might stop you, He's going to move away because you're walking right with Him. The disciples walked right with Jesus. And when the authorities came to do something to them, they had to do it to him first. And when they couldn't touch Jesus, they couldn't touch the disciples because the disciples were right with Jesus carrying out his will. I believe this was prophetic. God is speaking to this church. And I believe this is God's call to us. And this is his answer for all the noise that's going on in the world and all the threats. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. There's two more things that we're going to do. 
We always do this before the end of a service. Maybe you've tuned in tonight and most likely you've been watching us before.